0: to the way that you've embraced God's love for you, and the way that you live that out, and the way that you have made that a part of just who you are as a culture, and um, I just really want to let you know that from someone coming in as a guest, that that has just been very apparent to me, and, and just really special about this particular um, church and community. So we're actually going to open by singing about God's love for us. So let's get on our feet, and we'll sing. and He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree.
1: Bending the with heat of
2: Oh, we already did. <laughs> Please remain standing. <laughs> thank you, Elise, and thank you so much, uh, Jonathan and Shelby and Ainsley, for leading us in worship today. Um, They—they're uh, members of Elise's um, chapel worship band at Vacaville Christian. So, thank you so much for. Doing that today. And uh, yeah, um, my daughter Lauren played drums for the VCS Chapel Band years ago. I remember taking her to lots of early morning rehearsals and getting to watch her lead, and that was a lot of fun. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt, and I'm the associate pastor here. And I have the privilege right now of being able to lead us in sharing the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper is something that Jesus began as a reminder of the sacrifice that he made for our sins. And to give us hope as we follow him every day. And our hope is built, as we just sang, on what? On nothing less than the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. That is where our hope is found. Jesus himself is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? He is the son of God. He is the son who God did not, spare, or, uh, did not spare so that you and I could be spared. And we receive this meal today because we have been delivered from death and because we know we are in desperate need of his daily grace. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that we should prepare for the Lord's Supper as if we are preparing for worship because the Lord's Supper is worship. Uh, We prepare by slowing down and by turning our eyes away from ourselves and by contemplating the incredible things that God has done for us. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us that before we come to worship, though, we should first come to confession, reestablishing our communion with one another before we engage in worshipful communion with God. And so before you and I participate, it's important that we take time to ask God to examine our hearts and say, God, is is there anything in my heart that is causing a barrier between you and me or between me and someone else? Um, And I'd like that. That's hugely important. And I'd like to give us an opportunity to do that right now. So I invite you to take a couple of moments right now just between you and God, to prepare your heart for this uh, special time of, of worship through communion, and when you're ready, um, in a moment or two, feel free to come forward this side to the table, to my uh, to my left, and and uh, this side table to my right where Sandy is. Thank you, Steve and Sandy, for being there today. And after everyone has had the opportunity to come forward and participate, uh, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So once again So on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. is returning. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And I'd like to invite the band to come back up and I'd like to pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to to thank you for the privilege of being able to share this moment together. We thank you for the hope and the grace we have received because of what Jesus did for us. And we love you and we pray this in his name. Amen.
1: Oh, what a...
0: We are so thankful that we serve a Father who has rescued us, who has died on the cross and rose again so that we can be in communion with you, Lord. Um, God, we are just so in awe and so thankful that we serve a loving Savior who is intentional and, and detailed and pursues us and, and comes and meets us where we are and, and draws us into further and deeper and wider things, God. And and we just love you, God. We we love you for your sacrifice. We love you for your um, pursuit of us. We love you for your forgiveness. God, we are just um, here for you today, God. We're here for you for the rest of the service, Lord, and in our lives and in our hearts. Um, God, we are forever grateful. Um, we pray these things in your loving Savior's name.
3: All right. That was awesome. I love seeing young people leading worship. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. My name is Jen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Facebook and YouTube. Hopefully, the Brown family is in Prescott, and they're watching us, and we miss you, and we love you. Um, So I just want a few announcements real quick. Uh, It is our Family Worship Sunday, so all of our kids are going to be joining us in here today. I'm going to have a special guest coming up and joining me in a few minutes to do a little lesson for the kids. Um, and the, before I get started with that, though, I want to talk about connection groups. Um, Pastor Gary is going to be starting a new men's group tomorrow night. If you have not plugged into a group, I would highly recommend it. A lot of these faces, ladies around here I see, are people that I have connected with personally in connection groups. And that means that we're going beyond good morning on Sunday, it means that we pray for each other, that we know what's going on in each other's lives, and we have a special bond and a special relationship. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to live our lives in relationship. So I would highly encourage you to join that. If you're not a man, you're a woman, don't worry, because Miss Carolyn is going to start another ladies' group next month. So we are not going to be left out for long, okay? Also, I know there's a few families. I think the classes and the A-cords, do you, are you guys still doing groups throughout the week? Oh, never mind. No, they're not. Are the classes? Oh, oh, summer break. Okay. When we come back from summer, there will be also co-ed groups. If you're a couple and you both want to be there together, we are going to have those as well. We also have a youth group that meets every Wednesday night. We have a ton of fun. Pastor Matt is our leader, and I get to hang out with kids and act like I'm a teenager again. And we have so much fun. So that's every Wednesday night from 7 to 8.30 right here at church. Um, Okay, my next line of business is our offering. This is something that we have the honor and privilege of worshiping God with. Um, Our tithes and offerings, we believe that giving is an act of worship because it honors and glorifies God. And we want to just thank everybody here who has always generously given um, to God and to the ministries and missions of our church. We could not do this without you. So we just want to thank you and we... um, We know that God has blessed your giving in tremendous ways. Um, If you do want to give, there are five ways to do that. We have online at solanovalleychurch.org backslash giving. We have uh, an SVC app. You can just go on there and tap give. You can send your check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. You can text the word give to 707-883-3019 or the old-fashioned way, well, actually, the old fashioned way was passing around the basket. We don't do that anymore. But we have a metal slot in the back uh, behind Mr. Nathan back there. You can just stick it right in there, and we will get it that way. Um, okay, I would like to introduce a very special young lady. Her name is Soul Tenty. Can you please come join me, Soul? <laughs> Woohoo! All right. Alright, so I know your birthday's coming up. I wanted to ask you, do you enjoy getting gifts? Anybody else like getting gifts? I, I, I don't see my, oh good, I was gonna say my kids should be raising their hands. Okay. So, my gifts are falling over. Hold on a second. We're gonna put my gifts right here. Okay. I wanted to ask you, what was your favorite gift that you have ever received? What'd you say? Let me grab this. This is not going to work. Okay. Say, say it again. Uh, probably my bike. Your bike. Oh, that's awesome. Anybody else got a bike for a gift one time? Yeah. Those are awesome gifts, right? Because you can use them for a lot of things. Okay. I have this gift that I got from my parents and it didn't come with any instructions. I wanted to see if you could help me with it. Figure it out. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it out and show you. This, what what is it, Sol? I don't know. <laughs> Can you hold it up for everybody to see? Does any they told me it was an antique from the 1900s. Anybody out there? Any of you older folks know what this is? Ooh, Mrs. Clason does. What is it? Nope, it's not a clock radio. Yes, Jackie. It does have to do with VHS. Rewinder, yes. So for those young people out here, back in the day, we went to Blockbuster. We'd rent our favorite movie. You always had to rewind the movie, though, before you took it back. That's where this beauty comes in, okay? Sure, you could rewind it on your VCR, but then it would wear out your VCR. So you went out and got this handy-dandy little guy. You would put your VHS tape right in here, and it would automatically rewind it for you. It was spectacular, okay? This is really good technology. I'm sorry that they – I still have a VCR. I don't know about the rest of you. Okay. Now, would that have been easier if it came with instructions? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to give it back to them because I'm confused by it. But I wanted to share with you the best gift that I ever got, okay? Let's see. Where is it? Here it is. Can you read that?
1: God wants to give you the gift of salvation and ab-
3: abundant life. Oh. So God, my heavenly Father, my parents got me a VHS record or a rewinder, which was neat. But God, my heavenly Father, gave me the gift of salvation and abundant life. How did I get that? How did I get salvation?
1: Um
3: Who gives us salvation?
1: God.
3: Through who? Jesus. That's right. All right. So because I believed in Jesus, I get the gift of salvation, right? And with that comes abundant life. But how do I get that? I got this gift probably when I was six years old. And how I did that was I just prayed and asked God to be my Savior, right? And so many of us did that because I, I think I felt like that was the right thing for me to do. My mom had been talking to me about it, and so I was like, yes. I want God to be my savior. And then after I did that, I kind of took this gift. I didn't really know what to do with it. And so I kind of, I put it on a shelf, right? And I just went on with my life. And yes, I still had the gift, but I didn't know how to use it. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. I didn't know about abundant life. So I went on living my life and I made a lot of mistakes. And I did a lot of things that I regretted, right? Then when I was about 26 years old, I started remembering that gift that God had given me. And I thought, man, maybe there's something to that gift. I need to, I need to figure it out. How can I do that? Do you think there's an instruction manual for that? No. There is. I'll show you. Here it is. Doo, 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 doo. Here's our instruction manual. See this? It even says it. It's also known as the Bible. Um, Here's my instruction manual. I would like you to read what this says. Um, 19, 100, I don't know. One hundred nineteen. One hundred five. One hundred nineteen. One hundred five. Your world. Your words. Your words are a flash light to the light. The pa- I can't read. <laughs> Go ahead. Just try again. Your words are the flashlight to the light the to path, light the path to light the path ahead of me and keep it from, and keep me from stumbling. Okay. So your words are a flashlight to light the path ahead of me and keep me from stumbling. Where are God's words at? In the Bible? That's right in the Bible. This is where God's word is. This is his instruction manual. This is where we find out about how to be saved. This is where we find out why God wanted to save us. This is where we find out how to live an abundant life. Okay. And once we start grabbing our, once I got my gift off the shelf and I got this and I joined a support group called church where other people were there that had the same gift as me and they wanted to learn how to really use it. That's when I started to grow in my faith, and that's when I, my life started to change because I started to apply what the Bible was saying and what it was doing instead of just walking blindly through life, okay? So that's what I want you guys to get. When you get a gift, you always read the instruction manual. My dad is big on that. When you get the gift of salvation, that's just the beginning. You have to pull out your instruction manual. You have to get with people who are other believers. You ask questions And you pray and do all those things. That's how you grow. You don't just take the gift and put it on a shelf. Okay? Got it, soul? Got it. All right. Thank you so much for your help today. Everybody give soul a round of applause. All right. And I just want to introduce our fearless leader, Pastor Gary. Come on down, Pastor Gary. He is going to continue his series in John.
4: church. We had about 10 men who uh, uh, gathered together at, at our house in our backyard, we did a, a barbecue back there, and, and I managed to cook our tri-tip without catching it on fire, which is pretty awesome, And uh, but we had a good time. Uh, you know, one of the things that is really so important for us, and Jen just highlighted that for us, is all of us need really good, healthy connection. Uh, we really need, all of us need a place to belong. We need a place to belong, and we need a place where we find, uh, well, I, I like the way Jim said it. You know, church is like a support group. It's it's a support group for people who want to follow Jesus. And, uh, and, and none of us are perfect. No church is perfect, but we have a perfect Savior. and um, But connection is hugely important for us. So uh, one of the things that, you know, I like connecting with people over coffee. So anytime any of you would like to know more about the church, if you want to connect with me, Our staff, we would love to do that. Uh, Other ways that you can connect in our church, uh, plugging into a ministry team. Uh, There's always a need for help with our children's ministry team, our student ministry team. We always need some help with our tech support, so you can connect that way. And then the other way is through uh, our connection groups or our small groups. And so, uh, as Jen said a moment ago, I'm kicking off a brand new group tomorrow for men at 7 p.m. It's going to be right here. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking back at the message we did the day before. Uh, so all you need is your Bible, and uh, just come ready to, uh, to look at the Scriptures together, just kind of catch up on our week together, uh, and to pray together. So would like to encourage you with that. Uh, there's a guy who wrote a book. Uh, his name's Grant Osborne. When I want to say he wrote a book. He's written a, a few books. Uh, he wrote one book. It's called The Hermeneutical Spiral, uh, and just saying the name of it is... Kind of intimidating, uh, but basically, what hermeneutics are? Hermeneutics are the art and science of biblical interpretation. In his book, *The Hermeneutical Spiral*, is considered to be kind of like the book on hermeneutics on uh, how to interpret Scripture. And uh, but he he wrote another book that I've been reading, and uh, it's called *John Verse by Verse*, and it's really really good. Uh, and in his book, uh, Osborne says this: He says, "The more I study this incredible Gospel, meaning John." Uh, The Gospel of John. He says, "The more I study uh, this incredible gospel, the more convinced I become that John is one of the the greatest narrators of history. Uh, This may be may well be the best written book in the Scripture." He says, "The way John tells a story, uh, the dramatic portrayals he weaves into his narratives, and the theological depth of his uh, presentations all demonstrate the wonderful writing gifts God has given him." Then he says this. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. Basically what that means is all scripture is inspired by God. We Read that, Second Timothy 316, uh, 3.16. But he says, but all discussions of inspiration recognize that God uses the mind and personal abilities uh, of the individual writers, and John's are extraordinary. Uh, and then he says this about John chapter 6. He says, this chapter uh, is expertly put together and brings out G- Jesus' genius, Weaving metaphors into exciting tapestries of truth. Basically, what Osborne is saying is the Bible. The Bible is fantastic literature. Now, the Bible is more than fantastic literature. It is the Word of God, but it is fantastic literature. And when you read the Scriptures, you need to, to really pay attention to what you're reading. And um, the reason that that Osborne says what he does about John, let me put it this way, okay? I've been, studying, I've been studying the Bible, I don't know, 45 years now, something like that. And I've been studying the Gospel of John off and on for, for those 45 years. And here, as we've been doing this series, I have been really invested in studying this book, particularly John chapter 6. And I will tell you, the more I study it, uh, two things. I feel absolutely overwhelmed uh, trying to share with you uh, from what Jesus says. Uh, I feel in some ways inadequate. Uh, and in some ways, I just kind of feel like we need to let Jesus speak for himself. Uh, that, that sometimes in all of the explaining, if we're not careful, uh, we, we can actually miss the very words of Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for us a longer text of Scripture. They'll be okay. Uh, I'm going to read for us a longer text of Scripture. And more important than what's going on outside right now is what Jesus wants to say to you. So I want you, please, to listen to the words of Jesus. Real quick, real quick for context before I dive into this. Uh, When you read through John chapter 6, it is very helpful uh, part of what you need to understand is you need to, to understand a little bit about the history of the nation of Israel. And many of you, I know many of us, we know the story of, of uh, how God brought the, the nation of Israel out of Egypt under the leadership uh, of Moses. And we know that how God was faithful to this people. And we know that that when God was going to lead them into the land that he had promised to give to their ancestor, Abraham, uh, that generation of people did not believe God and they did not go in. They were an unfaithful generation. And so what God said is you're going to spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert. And I'm going to raise up a new and faithful generation. And I'm going to take them into that promised land that I promised to give to you, to your ancestor, Abraham. And so over those 40 years, there were times when they didn't have water. And whenever they didn't have water, one of the things that the people did, they were really good at this, was grumbling and complaining. Okay? They grumbled and complained. And what God did is God gave them water. And when they didn't have food, the people grumbled and complained. Interesting, the Bible never says that they prayed. But it says they did grumble and they did complain. And God gave them manna. And when the people got tired of eating manna, the Bible says that they grumbled and complained. And so God gave them meat. God was faithful again and again, even though they were an unfaithful generation. And because they were an unfaithful generation, they grumbled and complained. Now, it's important that you understand that. Very important that you understand that little piece of context. The other thing that's helpful to remember is when we read through John chapter 6, the day before the text we're going to read today, the day before uh, Jesus had been with these people on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And all these people had come to them, 5,000 uh, to Jesus, 5,000 men plus women and children. The crowd there was probably easily maybe 10, 15,000 people. It could have been as many as 20,000 people. And they were hungry. And what Jesus did was he took five small loaves of bread, barley loaves. He took two small fish and he multiplied it and he fed all of those men, all of those women, all of those children And after everybody had eaten all that they wanted to eat, they picked up 12 basketfuls of food the next day or that that same day. So this is the day after Uh, that night. It's it's very interesting is when Jesus did this, the people perceived and they thought, you know, uh, maybe Jesus is the great prophet that Moses wrote about in Numbers chapter 18. And the Bible says that that the people wanted to take Jesus and make him into a king. And the problem was with this is that they really wanted to make Jesus into their kind of a king. Uh, and, And this is something that we do sometimes. Is we want Jesus to be our savior, but we want him to be our kind of a savior. We want him to be our king, but we want him to be our kind of a king. Which means we kind of want him to be in charge of our lives, except when doing so isn't, doesn't necessarily agree with us. What they were looking for is they were looking for a king who would break the yoke of Rome and lead them to liberty. But what Jesus wanted to do was to break the yoke of sin and lead them to true liberty, a liberty that comes in Christ. The people, they go, they're searching for Jesus Verse 25 says, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, that's the Sea of Galilee, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, and he said this, he said, very truly, or truly, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, the miraculous signs I did. You're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Uh, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God? Interesting. This is where religion always fails. See, in religion, people are always trying to work their way to God. They're always trying to follow this rule, and this rule, and this rule, and the next, and the next, and the next. And they think that somehow they can achieve their righteousness on their own by keeping rules. So they ask, What must do we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answers them He says, This. He says, The work of God is this to believe. To believe. To believe in the one that he, God the Father, has sent. So they asked him, fascinating question. They asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Now, he just fed all these people. And now they're asking for another sign. By the way, after he had fed those thousands of people, he walks across the Sea of Galilee. I mean, that's kind of A fantastic sign. And before this, he had healed a man who had been uh, crippled for 38 years. And he had done many other miracles uh, with many other people. And they had seen all these signs. But now they ask this. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So basically they're saying this. For 40 years every day. Moses gave us a Happy Meal. For 40 years, we had a Happy Meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day for 40 years. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? Are you, you with me here? Jesus said to them, he says, truly, truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who, who's given you uh, Happy Meals, uh, who gave you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven? For the bread, God, uh, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us a spread. By the way, when you read that, there might be a hint of sarcasm in it. Okay, this should be very familiar wording to you. When you read these words, you should think of John chapter 4, when Jesus comes to a woman, a Samaritan woman, buy a well and ask her for a drink. And when Jesus says, hey, if you knew who I was and you knew who the woman was who was talking to you, you would ask me and I'd give you living water. And she said, you know, well, give me this living water. There's a hint of sarcasm in it. Same thing here. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you don't believe. All those that the Father gives me will come to me. Listen to these words, okay? I know a couple of you came to me after church last Sunday, a little bit uncomfortable with this. That's okay. That's Okay? It's okay to be uncomfortable with the words of Jesus, but be careful not to dismiss the words of Jesus. Be careful when you hear the words of Jesus, if they disagree with how you think things are supposed to be. Be very careful of reinterpreting the words of Jesus to eliminate any offense. Jesus says this, all, which means all, okay, means everyone. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him, the Father who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up the last day. There is really important stuff here. I want us to get into in a second, okay? For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up the last day. At this, guess what they, guess what they do? What are the people going to do? What do you think? They just heard this part of the message of Jesus. What, what do the people of Israel do? They grumble at this, at this, um, where am I at? I turn pages when I breathe too hard. OK, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? Now, remember, Jesus is in Capernaum, not far from Nazareth. Uh, Probably most of the people in this community would have known both Joseph and Mary. Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, obviously Jesus being the son of God. But they would have known Joseph and Mary. And so they're kind of dismissing Jesus as anybody significant and important because they knew who his parents were says is this not Jesus the son of Joseph whose mother father and mother we know how can he now say i have come down from heaven verse 43 jesus says stop grumbling among yourselves no one can come to the father who sent or, no one can come to the father unless the father who sent me draws them and i will dra- dra- raise them up at the last day It is written in the prophets that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard uh, the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And then Jesus says it again. Uh, He he says again, truly, truly. And, And basically he's saying, look, folks, pay attention. Truly, truly, very truly. Where am I at? Oh, verse 47. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness yet died. Yeah, they ate bread. But that bread didn't give them. It gave them life, physical life, for a short time. But it didn't give them what they needed most. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What are the Jews going to do? What do you think? They're going to grumble. Maybe they'll even raise the bar a little bit. Okay? Then the Jews began to argue sharply. ever have one of those conversations in your home? Okay. It's getting a little more heated here. It's gone beyond just grumbling to, I've got a feeling that there are some people who are making some pretty loud complaints. Okay? So, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, at this point in time, obviously, they're missing the point of the metaphor of Jesus. They're listening to the metaphor, but they're missing the point. Verse 53... Jesus says this, he says, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, And I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Let me pray for us, and I want to share with you a few observations and make a point if I can. God, today... um, I pray that your spirit would take your word and help us to apply it to our lives. Holy Spirit, I ask you to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And Lord, help us to really see uh, what Jesus is driving at in this text. And help us to have a greater appreciation for what Christ has done for us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so real quick, uh, I want to share with you ten observations And the reason for the ten observations is because they all support two points, two points that I want to drive home. First thing is this, is that Jesus is the bread, the bread of life, who gives eternal life to all who believe in him. By the way, when Jesus introduces this, and he talks about this in verse 35, what Jesus says, uh, he says, I am the bread of life. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, And what I said is this, is what Jesus says, he says, ego. A me. I am. Alright? And those words, those Greek words, ego a me, are like hugely important. Let me tell you why. Really? First of all, uh, okay, let's get the words down. Ego a me. Can anybody say that? Ego a me. Okay? So like kind of like let go my ego, alright? And then, I don't know, Amy, what you gonna do? whatever. I don't know, that song a long time ago. So it's ego a me. Alright. These words are really important. And the reason they're important is if you were a Jew reading from the Septuagint, that's the Greek version of the Old Testament. And you read about where God appears to Moses at the burning bush, the words of God when he asked, who shall I say sent me? And what God says to Moses is he says this, I am that I am has sent you. And those words originally written in Hebrew but then translated into Greek are ego me. And what happens as you read through the gospel of John, this is not this is this is important and this is significant. If you miss this, you miss the, a, a huge part of the gospel of John. Seven different times Jesus is going to say ego me. He's going to say stuff like I am the bread of life. He's going to say stuff like I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's going to say stuff like I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Over and over and over again, Jesus is identifying himself as Yahweh of the Old Testament. He is the Lord God. Okay? He, when the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God, it's not suggesting that he is in any way inferior to God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. He is fully God with all the attributes of God. And so... When he speaks to them, he is saying, I am God Almighty, the bread of heaven, the bread of life. There is no life apart from me. There is no hope apart from me. And so he says, Jesus is the bread of life who gives eternal life to all who believe in him. Verse 35 I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the bread of life. Secondly, everyone that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. Verse 37. You know what? Let me say these four things real quick. And then let me me see if I can develop this. Okay? Real quick. Everyone that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. That's what Jesus says. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's what Jesus says. Whoever comes to Jesus, he'll never drive away. Again, verse 37. He says, all those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Okay? You get this? The Father gives, the Son receives. He does not drive away, He receives. Everyone that the Father gives to the Son will come to the Son. Whoever comes to Jesus, will never He will never drive away. Jesus will not lose any who come to Him. Verse 39. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me. And then finally, that the Father and the Son will raise them up, uh, those who come to Jesus on the last day. It says here, uh, it, it's, he says um, uh, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Now, real quick, real quick, anybody ever lose your car keys? Okay, anybody ever lose your phone? Okay, okay. So, so we're all familiar with losing things, right? Yeah. Can a person lose their salvation? Okay. If I am responsible for my salvation, heck, yeah, I can lose my salvation. I lose everything, all right? But who is responsible for my salvation? God. God. See, God, if my salvation depends upon me, yes, I could lose it. But because my salvation depends upon Jesus, Jesus never loses. Let's just be really clear about this. All of this drives us to a place. The father gives, the son receives. Jesus doesn't lose any, and God will raise them up on the last day. These, There's a really big word for this. Really, well, they're not super bigs, but it's 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 called realized eschatology. OK, so uh, in, in, in that's what they talk about it in in theological circles. Basically, what it means is this eschatology, just simply the eschaton is the end, the end of all things when God reigns forever. All right. That's the eschaton. OK, what this is saying is that our salvation is absolutely certain in this moment all the way into eternity future. Are you with me here? Do you understand why this is important? You can new, never lose your salvation. You know, Jen just kind of shared her story a little bit earlier. I, one, I appreciate Jen for so many reasons. One of the reasons I appreciate you, Jen, is I love how authentic you are. You know, you don't hide. You don't pretend. She talked about her. Early conversion as a little girl, she talked about walking away from the Lord for a while and then her return. You know, I've had the same experience. That's probably another reason why I relate with you so well, is I walked away from Jesus for a while, too. And, And what I love is that even when we walk, even if we are walking away from Jesus, he never walks away from us. Our salvation fully and completely depends upon Him. Sixth observation I want to uh, point out here real quick, okay? Um, everyone who looks to the Son believes will have eternal life. Verse 40, uh, and then um, uh, seventh observation, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them, and Jesus will raise them up on the last day. Now, uh, for some people, uh, no one can come to the Father Unless the Father draws them. Okay, real quick, let's talk about this, if I can, please. God is very concerned about your salvation. He is. That's why he's actively drawing you, if you don't yet know Jesus. And God is very concerned about the salvation of people we rub shoulders with every day. That God is actively drawing people to himself in this moment. What does that mean for you and me? God is at work actively drawing people. So what? Or maybe more appropriately, now what? This week, this week, I saw a buddy of mine. His name is Dan Isles. He had, um, he posted a thing on Facebook. Uh, This, he he was spending a few days with a bunch of high school students uh, at this camp. I can't remember what the name of it is, but he was there. He did nine uh, different presentations with them. I'm sure all of them were much more interesting than this one. Uh, but they had about 70 kids who were there. And uh, 27 of those kids made first-time decisions that they wanted to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, Tian 's not like a big-name pastor of a big church or anything like that. He's just a neat guy. Neat, neat guy. God was working through Dan. He is, war- I'm sorry, I just get caught up in the stuff, but God was working through every person that staffed that conference. God works through every person who staffs our children's ministries. He works through every person who staffs our student ministries. God is wanting to work through every one of us to bring people to Jesus. And he wants to do it in ways that sometimes we may not even recognize at the moment. Okay. Okay different story, different story, but this is the point. I, I, I want to make a point from this if I can, okay? Earlier this week, took a bike ride, went up to the top of Twin Sisters. Anybody know where Twin Sisters is? Okay. So when you ride a bike up that, that, that ride is about a two-mile ride, and you climb a little over 900 feet, which is pretty steep grade. It's about a, I think about a 10% grade on, on a bike, which 10% grade is, is not easy, That's what some of the guys were riding in the Tour de France. The only difference is they do it for 11 miles. I only do it for two. All right? And uh, so I rode to the top. I get to the top. Well, I say get to the top. I get almost to the top. I'm sweating profusely. I am sweating so bad. Sweat is dripping down my face. When I'm riding on flat ground, I'm obviously riding a lot faster. The sweat dissipates very, very quickly, helps cool you. But it was a hot afternoon on Wednesday. And I was sweating profusely, and I was sweating so bad I could not, could not see. And so I was looking out of one eye at a time while the sweat was dripping down. And I'd I'd keep one eye open as long as I could, and then I'd switch to the other eye. And uh, at that point, uh, finally, I was probably about 200, uh, 250 meters from the top of, of, of Twin Sisters, and I could not, I couldn't keep either eye open. And so I rode my bicycle blind. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. (laughs) I don't want to die, all right? So I get off my bike. This is not about a bike ride. I don't know why I'm doing all this. I get off my bike, and I'm immediately sick, and I think I'm going to pass out. Seriously. So I walk because I don't want to pass out. I don't just, you know, it's not my thing, all right? So I'm walking. I'm pushing my bike that last 200, 250 meters to get to the top, find what little shade I can find, drinking my water, eating an energy bar, and a guy rides his, drives his truck up, all right? Guy drives his truck up. How random is this, all right? Does this feel random to you? I'm on a bike ride. I don't have an appointment on the top of Twin Sisters. You know, I don't typically schedule appointments there. God brings this guy up. Um, I'm not going to, I won't say his name. Uh, we'll just say his name is, I don't know, say his name is Sam, all right? I got a friend named Sam. We'll just say his name is Sam. Sam comes up and uh, sees me up there on my bike. He's a cyclist. He knows it's a hard climb. There's immediate respect because it's not an easy climb. And with that comes lots of conversation, lots of conversation. The point is this. At the end of the conversation, I said, hey, can I give you something? This was totally natural in the moment, totally natural. You know, I I tell you all about these little invite cards we have at the back of the church. I keep them in my saddlebag, in my my bike, because I had the opportunity to invite a guy to our church a while back on a bike ride, and I didn't have one with me, so now I keep them in there. So I said, hey, can I give you something? He said, sure. And so I said, um, you know, I pastor a church here in our community, Salon Valley Church. Meet at 10 o'clock Sunday mornings. Can I give you a card? Immediately, he's like... Did I say anything profane while I was talking with him? Uh, <laughs> I saw the bubble over his head, okay? and uh, But, you know, it was, it was really cool. Is because we end up having this neat little conversation. The whole point is this. is He said, you know, I'm not really a big – I'm not really into organized religion. And I said, well, we're disorganized religion. Please come. Um, so no, – I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. But anyway, I, you know, for me, I was like um, – you know, but we, we continue to engage. He ended up texting me later. And, and the thing is, is that, that I don't believe that I am ever the one and only person to bring people to Jesus. I don't look at Dan's story and say, wow, his was a success because 27 kids came to know Jesus. And in my case, you know, Sam's not here today. Okay? I am not... I am not Sam's one and only. I, I I believe that I am Sam's one of many. I believe that every one of those 27 young men who came to know Jesus this last week, Gam was not the one and only. He was one of many. There have been people through the years, and I was thinking about this earlier this week. I was thinking about a Muslim I shared the gospel with in the summer of 1987 in Budapest, Hungary. I was thinking about a, a philosophy professor from the University of Missouri that back in the 1980s ran into him on a ski slope and was sharing the gospel with him. And I I, I think about these different conversations, and those conversations were fantastic conversations where neither one of those guys came to know Jesus. But I still pray for those guys, and I still pray for their salvation. And the reason I do that is because I believe, I really believe... That no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws them. And I think that God is actively drawing people to Jesus right now, and he wants to actively draw people to Jesus through you. I do. I believe he wants to actively draw people to Jesus through us every day, everywhere we go. This is why I think that being kind and respectful is so important. This is why I think that a lot of talks about politics needs to go away, especially if you're despising a political party. This is the reason I think that we should treat people, all people, with respect and honor. Because God wants to save all kinds of people. The people that we are interacting with. See, I think that God wants to work through us to reach lost people in this community. Let me let me finish this real fast. I'm sorry. Um, no one. Okay. What we're on? Where are we at? Nine. Everyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. And then finally, this is the bad one. I don't like this one. When people are spiritually hard-hearted. When people are spiritually thick-headed. Jesus relentlessly presses his metaphor and calls for a response. When Jesus says talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, blood, those are repulsive words. Would you not agree? Would you also agree that Jesus probably is not trying to get people to do cannibalism here? I don't think he's teaching cannibalism. But what he is saying is that I am your sacrifice. By the way, this was... Again, sacrificial language. What do you do at the Passover lamb? You eat every bit of it. Okay? And so Jesus is pressing the metaphor and calling for decision. Why does Jesus do that? Because he is a savior. He is a savior and there is no other hope. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come on up. And um, you're not going to believe that I actually cut a lot out of the sermon. I did. Um, I I, I think there's something we need to see here. I, I think I have this on the slide. The point is God is completely sovereign in salvation from beginning to end. I want you to see that. It's that God who gives the son who receives it's the son who protects and keeps and it is the father and the son who will raise us on the last day I want you to see that God is completely sovereign in salvation from beginning to end and that man is fully responsible for how he responds that we have to make a choice that we will believe in Jesus we have to do that the other thing I want you to see is that Jesus is the bread of life who gives eternal life to all who humble themselves before him who come to him. Who look to him. many times when we come to church everybody is a believer and I hope and pray everybody in this room is a believer this is what I know from reading John chapter 6 is that after Jesus said this many of his disciples no longer followed him and it's not church attendance that makes anybody a Christian. It's not doing a lot of good works that makes anybody a Christian. It is faith in Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And if you haven't made that decision to put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that. And Just a simple, the Bible says that, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's just a simple prayer that just says, God, I'm a sinner, and I am. I mean, anybody who knows me well knows I'm a sinner. And by the way, anybody who knows you well knows you're a sinner too.
1: Um,
4: I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. And I ask you to come into my life, forgive my sins, and give me eternal life. You know what was a joy for Jesus? To leave. It was a joy for Jesus to leave heaven. To die for you. Us out in prayer if any of you would like to know more about how to follow Jesus or how to grow in your walk with Jesus we'd love to help you with that you can call me you can email me you can reach me through our you can reach me through our, our phone app you can reach me through our, our website if you know my number you can call me um, or you can just meet me at the door but would love to talk to you more and uh, let me close this out in prayer and I'll hand it over to the worship team okay God we thank you. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you because you are a sovereign God in all things, including our salvation. God, we are so grateful that we have been saved and one day you are coming again and there will be a future resurrection and that we will be with you forever. And God, between now and then, what we want to do is we just want to follow Jesus. We want to become more like him in every area of our lives. And Lord, what we want to do is we want to to partner with you Uh, In drawing people to Jesus. And so we commit all this to you in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.
0: to serve you and to worship alongside you. I pray that you have a wonderful week and that you are just reminded of those words that Pastor Gray shared with us about um, God just pursuing us and, and drawing us to Him. And I, I pray that we are responsive as as the Capital C Church, right, as, as a body of Christ, that we are responsive to Christ drawing us in this week. So I hope you have a great week. And don't forget, as Pastor Gray mentioned, there's the invitation cards on in the back table and, and be that person. Be, the, be one of the many for for the people around you and your, in your world that God has drawn you to. Um, we love you. Have a great week.